And then uh, in the time of Jesus and the apostles, God again did miracles. And then there was one other period of time all throughout the biblical history where miracles took place. And it was in the time when the king of Israel had become so corrupt and he had set up worship of Baal a very pagan God and he built Asherah poles and things like that and people were actually sacrificing their children as uh, sacrifices to that pagan God and into that horrible situation God brought a man and then another man right after him in fact their names are so much alike I get them confused sometimes but Elijah was the first one and then Elisha is the second and Elijah performed seven mighty miracles just amazing miracles and that's something that that could not be explained except by the fact that God did it and when Elijah was taken up to heaven he asked Elisha who was his friend and the one that was kind of his protege asked him what would you like to have and he said, I would like a double portion. Not greedy at all, but he said, I'd like a double portion of the grace that was upon you to be upon me. And Elijah said, well, when I'm taken away, if you are able to uh, catch my mantle, my robe, uh, then your request will be granted. And then Elijah was taken off to heaven in a chariot of fire. And as he rose, his mantle fell loose, and Elisha caught it. And, uh, and Elisha, how many miracles do you think Elisha might have performed? Fourteen. Because Elijah performed seven miracles. Elisha said, I want a double portion, and Elisha performs uh, double that. 14 miracles. So 21 mighty miracles. These are all, we're told about these in the book of Kings, 1st and 2nd Kings. And uh, I want to give you just, first of all, kind of as background to the study we're going to be doing the next few weeks. I want to give you a little bit of a Israeli history story. By the way, do you know God loves the Jewish people? Do you know that? To this day, God still has a, 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 an eye. The Bible says that they're the apple of his eye. And uh, it's strange to us. God chose the Abraham. Just Abraham wasn't asking to be chosen. He wasn't saying, me, 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 you know. God just chose him. He was a moon worshiper. He was a pagan himself. And God chose him, revealed himself to him. And then he said, through you, I'm going to make your name great. And I'm going to bless you. And uh, Abraham was not blessable in a way. He wasn't a... An amazing man. He did lots of stuff that he shouldn't have done. But he did believe God. And God counted it to him for righteousness. And God said, I'm through you and your descendants. I'm going to make them so many that you can't even be counted. And, uh, and I just want you to know, as much as God loves the Jewish people, Satan hates the Jewish people. Did you know that Satan hates the Jewish people and throughout history you just study their history and you'll not find a more persecuted despised and outcast uh, group of people than the Jewish people 
but God loves the Jews. And uh, somebody wrote a little poem saying, how odd of God to choose the Jews. And uh, we don't understand it, but it's just God's business. And God loves Israel to this day. And, uh, and, and we should pray for the Jewish people. And we should pray. I tell you, there's a, a renewed emphasis on anti-Jewish uh, sentiment right now today. But as we study the Old Testament, what the Old Testament is, the story of the Jewish people. It's the story of God working through the Jews to prepare the world for the coming Messiah. And uh, uh, there, there were 120 years that the Jews had a united kingdom. And it's real easy to remember because the very first king of Israel was Saul. And, uh, and Saul was a, a sad figure, actually. I'll preach a sermon on Saul sometime. But he reigned for 40 years over Israel. And all of the people were united. By all 12 of the tribes, really 13 tribes, were united under Saul. But then when Saul died... David became the next king. Now, it had been said that it would be through the tribe of Judah that the scepter would, would pass. And, uh, of course, Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin, not of the tribe of Judah. So David was the first king in the line of Judah. And then God said that David's line would be the one that would be uh, through which the kings would come and would flow. So David reigned for 40 years. That's easy to remember. Saul for 40 years, and that was the period of conflict. David reigned for 40 years. That was the period of conquest. And all of the kingdom was brought together under David. And then when David died, his son Solomon became the king. And Solomon reigned, how long do you think? 40 years. So it's easy to remember, isn't it? Saul, David, Solomon, each of them having 40-year reigns. And under Solomon, there was a time of great blessing and prosperity, building projects, all kinds of things going. But then when Solomon died, the kingdom had a civil war. And just like in America, and just imagine what would have happened if the Civil War had ended in two separate nations rather than one united nation. But uh, that's what happened with the, the kingdom of, of the Jewish people. Whenever the Solomon died, Solomon's son, and this is kind of also hard to keep, his name was Rehoboam, and he would have been the next king. In fact, he became the king over all of the tribes of Israel, but because of his selfishness and because of his arrogance and because of his uh, uh, determination to raise the taxes and, and be mean to the people, a man named Jeroboam rose up against him and they and the kingdom split. I'm just leaving out a lot of stuff, obviously, but... The kingdom divided, and ten of the tribes followed Jeroboam. Now, he was not a legitimate king, actually. 
And, and, but they, they were the ten northern tribes. This all, is this too complicated? Everybody's getting it okay? The ten northern tribes, and in the Bible, sometimes they're called the northern kingdom. Sometimes they're called Ephraim because Ephraim was one of the main tribes. Uh, and then sometimes they're called Israel. And so when you read in the book of Kings, talks about Israel and or Ephraim or the northern kingdom. It's talking about those ten tribes to the north. And then there were three tribes that stayed loyal to David, loyal to the Davidic line. And that was Judah and Benjamin and Levi. So that was so you have ten tribes to the north and three tribes to the south. We usually say two tribes, but it's actually three because Levi was the, the priesthood. And so uh, they, they had conflict all the time. And the book of Kings, First and Second Kings, tells the story of the kings. It's a good night, title for it, isn't it? Tells a story about the kings who ruled in the northern kingdom called Israel and the ones who ruled in the southern kingdom, and it was called Judah, or the southern kingdom. And so there's a lot of conflict between these, uh, these two kingdoms, as you can well imagine, and there was conflict between them and other nations as well. But the northern kingdom had about 20 kings, and not one was good. Every king in the northern kingdom was wicked, evil, and they, uh, uh, they worshipped idols. They, 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 they did a lot of horrible things. And then the, north, the southern kingdom, it had about 20 kings also. But it lasted a lot longer. And some of those kings in the southern kingdom were good kings. They were godly kings. Men like Hezekiah and Asa and Josiah and others, they were good kings. Now the northern kingdom was conquered and dispersed in 721 years before Christ, the Assyrians came down and conquered them. And then they were going to conquer the southern kingdom, but God stepped in and put an end to that. And the southern kingdom lasted for a lot longer, 130 years longer. It was 586 B.C. There we go. Thank you, Brad. So you see the kingdom of Israel in the blue up there, the kingdom of Judah in the, what color is that? <clears throat> that, that other color. And uh, so God sent prophets to both kingdoms. And uh, he sent prophets to the northern kingdom. And I'm going to be focusing today just on the northern kingdom. And I want you to know that Jeroboam, this rebel, this, uh, this, this guy who led a rebellious group and, and uh, uh, against the, the United Nation, he reigned for 22 years. And he began with the spirit of rebellion. First thing he did was corrupt the priesthood. He said, you know, all these people, they're going to be wanting to go back down to, the, to Jerusalem and worship God at the temple that Solomon built. So he built altars uh, two altars, one in Dan, which is the very, very northern part of his kingdom, and then one at Bethel, near the southern part of his kingdom. And he 
appointed people to serve as priests who were corrupt men. They were evil men. They, had, they weren't of the tribe of Levi. They didn't have any business being priests. And then he set up idols in Dan and Bethel. And the Bible constantly, anytime it speaks of Jeroboam, it said he led Israel to sin. He led Israel to sin. He corrupted their ways. Well, he reigned for 22 years. And then when he died, his son, Nadab, became the, uh, the king. And he reigned for two years. And the Bible says of him that he, he walked in the way of his father, Jeroboam, and he caused Israel to sin. And then Nadab was assassinated by a man named Basha. And, uh, and I, I'm not even going to ask you to put these scriptures up because I'm kind of condensing some of them so I can get through this. But in, in uh, 1 Kings chapter 15, it says, Basha conspired against Nadab, and he killed him, and he reigned in his place. And as soon as he was king, he slaughtered everybody that was related to Jeroboam. And he left the house, he left to the house of Jeroboam not one person alive until he had totally destroyed it. So this is the kind of spirit that there was in the northern kingdom. And Basha reigned for 24 years. And the Bible says he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin, which he made Israel to sin. And then Basha died. And uh, his son, Elah, reigned in his place. And he reigned for two years. And then he was assassinated by a man named Zimri. Zimri. And... Uh, while Elah was at Tirzah drinking himself drunk, the Bible says, uh, Zimri came in and murdered him. Zimri reigned for seven days. Short reign. And, uh, and then he was assassinated by the general of his army, a man named Omri, O-M-R-I. And he reigned for 12 years. Six years in Tirzah. And then he bought the field from uh, uh, in the area that is Samaria. And he moved the capital city to Samaria. And he reigned his last six years there. But listen, it says, Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he did more evil than all who were before him. So when you notice, every king is just getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And then when Omri died, his son named Ahab reigned in his place. Now the northern kingdom is about 60 years old at this time. And 60 years after it had started, this wicked king Ahab becomes the king. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria for 22 years. And Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord. And listen to this. More than all who were before him. 
he was the most wicked king that they had had up until this time. He's the seventh king, and he just is, he becomes the epitome of evil. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, he took for his wife a woman named Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and then he went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. So in other words, he moved into the capital city. Uh, he built a temple there and erected a, a, a statue of Baal, and he was ordering people to come and worship Baal. And Ahab made an Asherah, that is a, an Asherah pole in honor of the, what they call the Queen of Heaven. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel before him. And so it is to Ahab now. I feel like I've lost some of you uh, going through this history lesson. Some people are not very interested in history, and I understand that. <clears throat> but could get Brad to come down and do a little math lesson for us, you know. Some people love math better than history. But, uh, oh, okay, okay. So they just look at you like, uh, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, but uh, but I, I wanted to give you this background because I want you to see several things. One, that sin in a nation and even in an individual usually begins with rebellion and a rejection of authority, and then a replacement of the true God with some kind of idol. And that's the way it started when Jeroboam was the king. He, uh, he rebelled against God's word and God's will. He rebelled against the, the rightful king, and then he rejected all authority, and he set up idols throughout the land. That's the way sin starts. And in your life and in my life, if we're not careful, we'll find that what started in us was a resistance to authority. We see it even in little bitty children, don't we? When they stomp their foot and say no. And uh, we have to deal with that. But we can't change their heart. We might even make them behave. But we can't make them be righteous and be, be holy. One little boy uh, his mother told him to sit down, and he said, no. She said, sit down right now. No. I said, sit down. No. And she took him and pushed him down in the chair and said, now you're sitting down. He said, I may be sitting down in this chair, but I'm standing up in my heart. And that's where we are, aren't we? And then as we get a little older, get to be teenagers. We got some teenagers here. Y'all are, I'm sure, obedient and, and uh helpful and respectful and everything to your mom and your dad. But there's something in us that just wants to resist against authority. The Bible calls it the, the sin nature that is in us, the corruption that is in us from, from the line of Adam. Just a, a desire to, to say no to what God wants and then to set up in our life something in the place of God so that we begin to to make idols in our heart. And then secondly, this leads to some serious consequences. If you go and read the book of 1 Kings, and a lot that I've left out here, you'll just see that there was one serious consequence after another. 
But then the third thing I want you to see is that sin never remains neutral. It always increases. As we see these first seven kings, each one did a little bit worse, a little bit worse. And we finally get to Ahab, and it says that he did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. And here's what I found in, in, in human existence is that sin, unless we repent of it and come to God in repentance and faith, sin constantly grows. It just, it gets worse. We've said it before, sin will take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. And, uh, and that's the way sin works. I read, uh, I was just reading this morning, in fact, back in July of 1982, a man named Larry Walters lived out in Los Angeles, and he got to thinking how much fun it would be to uh, tie helium balloons to his lawn chair and then get in that lawn chair and pull a, uh, where it was tied down, untie it, and, and see if he could float up in the air. And he took a BB gun with him because he thought if it gets too high, I'll start shooting some of the balloons and I'll be able to come back down. And so everything went fine. He got it all, 45 helium balloons, large helium balloons, tied to his lawn chair. And uh, he gets in the lawn chair, lays his BB gun across his lap, and he reaches over and he pulls the cords loose, and pew! He didn't just start to slowly ascend. He shot up, and his BB gun fell out of his lap. And here he was. Uh, for 45 minutes floating around over Los Angeles airport. They had to shut down the airport, LAX, because some pilot calls in and says, uh, we have a little problem up here. There's a guy in a lawn chair floating over the airport. And so they had to, they had to shut down the airport for 45 minutes. And then once they got in there, of course, they arrested him and everything like that. And and uh, he said, well, you know, I never intended for it to, to go that far. I thought it was just going to go up just about the rooftop of my house. I never realized it was going to take me up. Uh, and I didn't know how many, I think it was like 8,000 feet or something like that, that, that he went up. And as I read that story, I thought, boy, that's the way sin works. You know, we think we've got it all under control. We think we've got our BB gun. We think we've got it. We're going to just kind of, we're just going to have a little fun. And we don't realize that it's going to take us way, way further than we wanted to go. And, of course, if he hadn't have been strapped in and, and everything, he would have probably fallen out and been killed. And uh, that's the way sin works, though. We start out with just little little things, just just breaking little laws and just just committing little sins, and each one progresses to a bigger one and a bigger one and a bigger one until we reach a point where we now have idols in our life and we are totally rejecting God and replacing Him with a God of our own making, and then. 
Ahab married Jezebel. And so the fifth thing I see about this is that often sin leads us to join with other people who hate God and who worship idols and who seek to uh, increase in sin. It seeks like-minded companions. And so this was the situation in Israel. I mean, uh, people were, were bringing their, their babies and throwing them into a furnace in the hopes that they could gain the favor of Baal. Baal was a corrupt and an immoral god. And immorality just swept the land. And violence swept the land. And into this corrupt situation comes a prophet. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. He is just, this guy is brought onto the scene. He's never been mentioned before. And by the way, we know absolutely nothing about him uh, as far as his background or anything except what's told to us in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. It says, Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, so all of a sudden, this guy who lives over in the mountainous area of Gilead, and he comes, and by the way, according to archaeologists, this was a, a very, very rocky area. In fact, the word Gilead means rocky. And, and the people who lived there <clears throat> were uh, tough people. And so Elijah <clears throat> said to Ahab, he just comes up to the king, and he said, as the Lord the God of Israel lives before whom I stand. There shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Can you imagine going up to the king of Israel, this corrupt, wicked king, married to an even more corrupt, wicked wife, and just saying, I have a message from God for you. By the way, the word, the name Elijah L. Elijah, Elijah, means Yahweh or Jehovah is my God, is my God. So even his name, and I don't know if that was his given name or if he just took that name, but he said, when they said, who are you? He said, I'll tell you who I am. God is my God. That's who I am. And I'm just telling you, I'm making an announcement to you. I'm not even telling you to repent. I'm just making an announcement to you that there's, it's not gonna, there's not going to be any dew or any rain for a long time. In fact, until I say it can rain again. Now, he's speaking for God. He says, uh, the Lord God of Israel, he lives, and it's before him that I stand. And there will be neither dew nor rain for years. Now, we're told in the New Testament that it was three years and six months that the land went without rain. Can you imagine what it would be like in Texas if we had no rain for three years? I mean, we've had some droughts, hadn't we? But this was, I mean, three years. And uh, 
This was the judgment of God. Now, now, how is it that Elijah was able to have such boldness? How is it that Elijah was able to make such an announcement as this? For one thing, he was a man of prayer. We're told over in the book of James that Elijah was a man of prayer. Effectual, fervent prayer. This was a man who came before God. He said, the, the God before whom I stand. And I guess it was also the God before whom he knelt. And he knelt in prayer and he prayed. And he got to know God. And he got to know God's word. And he would probably read, or undoubtedly had read Deuteronomy 11, verses 16 and 17, where God announcing to the children of Israel as they were coming into the land, take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the land will yield no fruit and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. So no doubt... Elijah had read this passage and he looked about in his land and he saw this corrupt king on the throne and this wicked queen on the throne and he saw all the sin that was going on in the country and he said this passage is surely true so he was a man of prayer a man who knew the word and he was a man who stood before God he was close to God and I'll tell you something this was 60 years into the kingdom. I got to figuring, you go back about 60 years in American history, we come to about 1960. Now, I want to tell you, 1960 and the years that followed that were determinative years in our country. God was, in essence, asked to leave. And our nation began to worship at the altar of Baal rather than the altar of God. And prayer was taken out of the schools. And, and the Ten Commandments were taken out of the schools. And Bible reading was taken out of the schools. And out of the courthouses, and sadly even out of a lot of the church houses, and people began to worship the God of sex, the God of self, the God of money, and they replaced the true God with the false gods that they had made in their own heart and mind. And I want to tell you, right today, there are many, not all, but many legislators in our national legislation, legislature that if they had their way, they would oppose everything Christian. They would oppose everything biblical. If they had their way, and again, not all, and praise God for the ones, the few, that are standing and speaking for truth, but we, only, we could be only one election away. And the wrong legislators get in place and I guarantee you there are many who would want to tax the churches and there are many who would want to shut the churches and close the mouth of people like us who want to stand for the truth. 
And we need in our day the same spirit in our hearts that Elijah had. But how will we have that? It will only come about if we saturate ourselves in the Word of God, which is obviously what he did. And if we saturate ourselves in prayer to God, and if we live in a closeness to God so that we can not just know his laws, but we can know his love, we can know his heart. And that was what made Elijah so powerful. He said, the, the God before whom I stand is a living God. And he stood before God. He was in the presence of God in his heart and his mind. And he saturated himself with the truth and the person and the love of God. And listen, God is a God of love. But I want you to know, you cannot love without also hating. What we love, anything that attacks what we love, we hate. And that's true in our, in our lives. And God is a God who loves greatly, but he's also a God who judges strictly. And we cannot thumb our nose at him. The Bible says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. And as a nation, Israel had sown corruption and they were about to reap judgment. And it was at the mouth of these two prophets, Elijah and Elisha, that God brought judgment on that land and correction. And although they didn't correct, they continued in their sin until God patiently gave them time, but then eventually he sent the Assyrians to totally and a disperse them and I'm saying to us today the same God who spoke to and through Elijah speaks to us today and he calls us individually to repent and to be close to him and to fill ourselves with his word and to be people of prayer that's what God wants for your life for my life and uh, but our nation is made up of people like us. And unless enough people, unless enough people will bow before God, eventually we will collapse under the judgment of God himself. Now, Elijah actually thought he was the only person left. I mean, as he went about throughout Israel, he said to God one time, he said, God, I'm the only one left. And sometimes we may feel that way. But God said, no, there are others. There are 7,000. 7,000 people throughout all of Israel that have not bent their knee to Baal. I just wonder how many people there are. As God looks at America, does he see enough people to withhold his judgment? Well, I would ask today that we would judge our own hearts. The Bible says that the judgment of God has to begin really at the house of God. And while God's law is for everybody, God's love is for his church. And love has a higher demand even than the law. 
And so God calls us to be those who stand before our God and to say our God lives and to be willing to pray, saturate ourselves with the word, and call our leaders to repentance and to faith. I want to be that kind of person. I want to be the kind of person, just like Jonathan Edwards, who is willing to say, I want to saturate myself with God's truth, and I want to stand in closeness with God, and I want to speak to the sin that is in my own life and in the lives of others. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Elijah the prophet. And Lord, I know there are people who ask as was asked even later in this passage where is the God of Elijah but I I sometimes wonder where are the Elijahs of God and Lord I want us to be that kind of voice in our community and in our country and in our time who will call sin sin and who will speak truth to power who will hate what you hate and love what you love. Help us to be those people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, We would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.